read good books, read bad books, and figure out why you don't like them. Then don't do it when you write. Patricia Briggs. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee S's. Welcome to our special Saturday bonus episode on novel red flags this month. And almost every other red flag we've talked about can be summed up in today's episode as well. And that's simply distractions. Things in books that distract from the story, that distract from the characters, or that make the reader remember that they're reading. Earlier this month, we talked about head hopping. Why is head hopping an issue? It's a distraction. Why is having a buildup without a payoff an issue? It's a distraction. Why does having an annoying main character bother you? Because it's annoying and a distraction. All of these specifics that we're talking about this month are things that authors can do and publish novels doing that don't serve the reader. That's why they're novel red flags. That's what this month is about. When it comes to my tolerance level for these, it shifts depending on what the distraction is specifically. But for most of them, we share the same tolerance level. It's a two out of ten. I am exactly the same in that I hate it a lot, mostly because a lot of the distractions we're talking about today are incredibly preventable. We're talking about things like misspellings and verb tense disagreements, these kinds of things that with any attention paid during your self-editing or having an editor who knows what they're doing will catch. These things are so easily preventable that I feel like the author isn't respecting me as a reader. The first distraction we're going to talk about is one that you just mentioned. It's the misspelled words, the bad punctuation. The reason this is a problem for me is that it usually is a sign that the author published a first draft. I see a lot of first drafts because a lot of people are sending them to me asking if they're on the right track. And one of the most difficult things for me to do is to respond honestly with a helpful criticism because all I'm seeing are the weirdly capitalized letters in the middle of the sentence. Or this is misspelled. It's really difficult for me to give feedback beyond the utter basics of spelling and punctuation. This is probably one of the strongest reasons that self-published books have a bad name. The self-published authors either don't want to invest in an editor or they don't have faith in the editors that they know what they're doing. They don't want to give up their baby. So they publish thinking that they did their own editing and it is just fine. That doesn't always work because as authors, we know what it should be so we can be blind to our own mistakes. We don't see the misspellings because we know what that word is meant to be. Another very common distraction that really keeps me up at night are those accidental red herrings. Those things that the audience is trying to connect the other side of the string to something interesting. And I, as the reader, am spending way too much mental energy on something that was supposed to be a throwaway line. Another problem is the formatting of a book. In last episode, I ranted a lot about a book that I recently read. 
I originally got it off of Kindle Unlimited. And I ran into such horrifying formatting problems with the Kindle version. But I liked the writing well enough that I said, okay, so long as I like the writing, I'm going to go pick up a physical copy of this book because I cannot handle reading the formatting of this ebook because the chapters weren't segmented correctly. The image at the beginning of the chapter was distorted because it wasn't the right shape. And the chapter headings were in the same paragraph. It was paragraphed like it was to be read online, so it didn't have the indentations. It just had spaces between all of the paragraphs. It was a hot mess of formatting, and it drove me nuts. What would you say is the likelihood that anyone on that team looked at that file before publishing it? Absolutely zero. Nobody did a double check on that ebook file before they threw it up on Kindle. And that is why it made me so frustrated because it would have taken two seconds to open it and see, oh, hey, we don't have this separated out in chapters. There is only the beginning of the book. Oh, hey, all of our chapter headings aren't formatted correctly. They're written just as if they were paragraphs. Oh, look, these images don't work two seconds and they would have known all of that and been able to fix it. So their time was more valuable than my time, even though I was the one investing in reading the book. Another thing that I see that ends up distracting me in the actual content of the book is when you have thoughts that don't go anywhere. We talked about this quite a bit last episode where you introduce concepts just because they're interesting to you and they don't actually have to do with the story at all. Another major red flag is the verb and tense inconsistencies. I just started reading a book that kept shifting between present tense and past tense, and I was really struggling to keep my brain attached to what it should be because they shifted so much, and I don't think the author realized that that was happening. I have been binging on a series that I've talked a lot about this month that is written in first person past tense, but it's set in Chicago. So every once in a while, he'll say something like, the hospital is across the street from the park. And that throws me for a loop every time. Every time I'm taken out of Chicago and back into wherever I'm reading the book. I get why it's happening like that. And I get why it's on the page, but man, can it be distracting. And then there are the books that feel like I'm reading a thesaurus rather than an actual book because the author threw in a lot of needlessly, excessively fancy words. I recently had a conversation with someone who is trying to become a reader. And so she was asking for book recommendations, but she wanted books that she would also need a dictionary open next to the book in order to be reading the book. I kind of question why she wants to be reading at that point, because if it's just about learning new words, she can sign up for dictionary.com's word of the day, emails, whatever. Or just read the dictionary. Yeah. But that can be one of the biggest distractions in reading a book. Those needlessly excessive words just to make yourself feel smart because, oh, I'm using big words. Having a wide vocabulary is not about using bigger words. It's about having access to more tools so you can use the right word at the right moment. 
The next major distraction ties directly in with that, and that is anything that by design makes you put the book down. That includes these words that the person has to put the book down and then pick up their phone, more than likely, to Google. Or these inside baseball words, where if your character is a doctor and you're using all doctor terms and your reader is not a doctor. Even in my case, chaptering. Chapters are like a commercial break in that it's an indicator to your audience to change the channel. This is a good time to close the book and go to bed, which is why the majority of my books have like 20 chapters tops. A lot of the books that I read have 50, 60, even like 90 chapters because it's almost a chapter per scene. But those are all moments at which you could cut off your reading session and pick up the book later. This is also why in a lot of published books, you'll find that chapters end with some kind of cliffhanger. Because yes, it is a convenient location within the book to put the book down because there's a nice flag of this is a chapter. But the book itself, the story, is not done yet. We're going to make you keep reading. I noticed when I was reading Mistborn, they had the next chapter numbered, but on the same page. I don't know if it was like that for the Mistborn that you read, but it was easy to skip the number and keep reading. It's easy to continue because you're not even turning a page. Any excuse that you give the reader to put the book down gives them more opportunities to not pick the book back up again. So these types of little distractions that you can accidentally employ in your storytelling can accidentally damage your chances of someone finishing and loving the book. And the final thing that really can be a distraction is any kind of gatekeeping. This is when it's assumed that the reader knows or is okay with something simply by the author claiming the moral high ground. This is often shown in opinions on race, religion, political standpoints, a lot of those hot topics. This is another reason why that last book I didn't finish, I didn't finish because there was so much gatekeeping in the first 50 pages that I started to get annoyed. I read books for fiction. I do not read books to hear the author's political opinions. I'm okay with having stories with politics, with that sort of thing that can be related to real life. But this felt so much like, if you don't agree with me on all of this, then you're not good. Yeah, I agreed with most of it, but it was still frustrating to have that in a work of fiction. There is one author in my genre that I really wanted to like. A lot of my favorite authors are like, yes, this is a great person. This is fantastic to read. This is exactly the type of thing. I picked it up and every law enforcement character, there were several. The main character was a lawyer who happened to exist during a school shooting, but every cop was ready to shoot her and she was convinced that she was going to get shot by a cop because she was coming out of a poor person's house. All of the law enforcement were incompetent. They would all break the rules and they're all very trigger happy. I did not finish the book because I am personally very pro-law enforcement. I feel like they're put in a very difficult position. I'm gatekeeping now by saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I like to see. But that kind of storytelling turned me off from all of this author's possibly fantastic writing 
because I don't like how she preached at me in the first pages of her book. Now, obviously, this last one is going to be different for everybody because everybody has different gates. But there's a way to present it so that it's still fiction within your story without making it feel like it is a blanket statement over everything. The biggest way to fix this last one is to really understand your target audience and also know that they're going to be varied. And however it is that you present an issue, because yes, absolutely, fiction is a way that we can discuss real world problems in a fictional environment. That is absolutely a thing, but it needs to be a discussion and not a gatekeeping thing. It cannot be presented as a, if you don't agree with these things, then you don't belong reading my book. Now, there are some things in what we talked about that are not actually distractions that can sometimes feel like distractions at first. When we're talking about those misspellings or the bad punctuation, an apostrophe in the beginning of a word instead of the end, sometimes that's just an interesting facet of your fantasy world. So just because Microsoft Word gives you that little red squiggle doesn't mean you have to change it. I can't tell you how many times Microsoft or Google has suggested a change to me, and it's wrong. So it is absolutely okay to tell the machine, no, do not accept all of the blanket grammar and spelling corrections, because sometimes they simply are wrong. Get an editor. A human editor. I hear so many people ask, well, what kind of program will edit my book the best? None of them. None of them will be as good as a live human. Because if you accept every change that this machine is offering you, your writing can become boring, it can become very stale, and you'll lose a lot of context because you're trying to make something acceptable to a machine instead of letting yourself be unique. Now, there are going to be times in your story where you're going to use words that maybe your audience doesn't know. That is okay. I like to learn new words. They shouldn't be every other word within your story. Absolutely use big words. Use new words. Use words that I'm going to have to look at a dictionary to find out. So long as they are used accurately and they are the right word for the story, not just a word because it's fancy. And I think a lot of this comes down to how you, the author, learned the word. If you right-clicked it and then said words like this one and then went, sure, that one's long. There is an issue. If you learn the word through context, through conversation with somebody who also knew the word, through your studies, your research, you see the word pop up a couple of times, so it'd be great for your point of view character to also use this word, and then you put it into the story, great, use the word. Because you understand how it's supposed to be used. There are also a lot of things that you'll include because it is a stylistic choice. So formatting, absolutely, you can have weird formatting if it is purposeful, if it is a stylistic choice to do that way. Make sure it doesn't look like a mistake. And for those accidental red herrings or those thoughts that lead to nowhere, it's okay to have footholds. It's okay to not have that payoff right away. You can use those to build that Sanderson avalanche down the line. You can make sure that these particular moments do lead somewhere 
so long as they do pay off eventually. They don't have to be immediate. Make any accidental red herring a purposeful red herring. Of all the things, make sure your book is not inaccessible. It should be in design, reachable by most readers. Obviously, it is not going to be for all of the readers. You need to be marketing to the right groups, but you cannot, as the author, respond to bad reviews by saying the reader isn't smart enough or intellectual enough to be your audience, to read your book. If you have bad reviews, you need to accept them and figure out how to improve. Or, like most authors do these days, ignore bad reviews because a lot of the time they're just trolls. Whatever happens, whatever instance that occurs, it's not your reader's fault that your book might not be their cup of tea. It's never the reader's fault for any distractions that are put in place in your book. So don't blame the readers for them. But I think when we talk about what these distractions are and what they're not, it comes down to your intent as an author. If you intended to misspell this word, don't feel bad about not fixing it. If you didn't intend to misspell the word, then it's a distraction. So everything that happens within a book needs to be intentional. That is kind of what makes all of these things red flags is that they are shown in a way that was unintentional. And most of them are completely preventable if you had just hired a good editor. I have seen people take payments for editing a book when all they did was hit F7. Oh, that makes me so mad. <laughs> yeah. Having a human read your book is super helpful, but also I feel like I shouldn't have to say this, but you as the author should also reread your book at least once. We've talked about the suggestions we have for that before, but change the formatting, put it into a different font, print it out instead of reading it online. Put it in a different format for you to read so that when you read it, you're not reading it the same way that you wrote it. And that will help you catch a lot of the problems that you might not have caught before. And take your time. You're not on a schedule if you're self-publishing. You don't have to get it up right away. It is better to publish a little later, but to publish quality than it is to publish now and publish in quantity. Another thing that makes all of these a red flag and makes people put the book down is when you're advertising against your own book. And I mostly see this from a potential editor's point of view, where I have people argue with me going, oh yeah, I meant to fix that. Oh yeah, that's incomplete. Oh yeah, this might not be the best book in the world, but all of those types of phrases tell me it's not ready to be published yet. It's not ready for my feedback as an editor yet. If you meant to fix that, fix it before you send it to an editor. Or anyone who's going to read it. Your alpha readers even. Make sure you fix it first. Because then you can eliminate those distractions and they can focus on their purpose in reading your story. And at the same time, some authors have a tendency to advertise against themselves. And this is not necessarily intentional, but it happens because of the way they advertise themselves. And these authors say, my book is perfect and it's for everyone and nothing could possibly go wrong with it. How dare you give me a bad review? If you don't like it, you're a moron. That's just not true. 
there is so much accidental self-sabotage in new and aspiring authors. And that's simply they don't know what they don't know. With any craft, when you first get into it, there's a moment where you feel like you know everything, you're ready to start forging your own path, when really there's a lot more to learn first. If you are public about that ignorance, then you are self-sabotaging. It's very easy to make you, the author, look bad. Therefore, your audience isn't going to want to read your stuff. Even if they would like it, they wouldn't even bother picking it up because they don't like you. I feel like that's where a lot of book talk has been really strange for me. Because, hey, if you like me, then you'll read my book. There's a disconnect there that's not healthy. And I think the final reason why all of these things are red flags is that the author isn't treating my time as valuable. Instead of fixing the problem, instead of taking their time to make sure that it's edited correctly, to make sure that it's formatted correctly, they are asking me as the reader, the person who invested in the book, to just overlook the issue and just just accept it as it is. And I am not one to say the customer is always right, because that is absolutely not true. But in this particular case, you have to treat your readers. They are your customers. You have to treat them the way that they deserve to be treated. They are investing in your future. Every book that they buy from you is an investment to help you be a full-time author. They aren't going to buy another one if they feel that investment wasn't worth it in the first place. If they were shown in the poor editing, in the poor writing, in the poor quality and formatting of the book, if they were shown, their time is not as valuable as yours. And the response to that and how to fix 98% of the issues we've talked about today is to slow down. We've said a lot of this throughout our discussion of the distractions, what they are, what they aren't, but slow down. Don't publish that first draft. Don't release it because you feel like, okay, you've written the end. There's so much self-sabotage in that hurry to publish that you're shooting yourself in the foot because you can't recover from a lot of this a lot of the time. If you slow down, you're preventing the issue from ever happening. You have no deadline. You are not on a publisher's schedule. You are on your own schedule if you're self-publishing. Take the time to make it realistic. Set a deadline. If you're like me, you need a deadline. Set one for yourself, but make sure it's realistic. Make sure it's something that you can accomplish and do it well. And feel free to push that deadline back. I had to set a deadline for myself almost a year ago that I would publish the book that I'm working on in October. That is not going to happen. I had a lot more stuff happening this year than I had intended and a couple of rabbit hole stories that I decided to go off on instead. And that's okay. I can push it back another while until I get the story right, until I am satisfied with the ending product because I want it to be quality instead of just publishing what I have available. Another way to fix a lot of these distractions is to get people you can trust to read it. People you can trust to let you know, hey, this is a distraction. Every time I see this name, I get it's pronounced in an interesting way, but if you invert those two letters, it becomes a swear word. Maybe 
use different letters because you didn't recognize this as the author, but your audience is going, this name is a distraction. And on top of just readers, find yourself an editor that you can trust. And we both know this is not an easy process. It takes a lot of work to find an editor that you trust to give you the right kind of feedback. Because there are different stages to editing. You need an editor who will help you with developmental edits. You need an editor who will help you with copywriting. If you are lucky, you can find an editor to do both. They should be done in different stages, but you can find an editor to do both. But it's really hard. So our advice for finding an editor is to do one chapter test edits. Send them a chapter, they'll edit that chapter, and if you feel like you get along with that person, if the flow is good, if they're catching things and you feel like their advice is good, then go with that. But in that same sense, accept that editors are editing your story. They are making changes to make it better. Yes, it's your baby, but it is time to let someone else kill your darlings. And if you're really struggling to work with any editors whatsoever, a lot of them are rejecting you for this or that reason, there's a very good possibility that you didn't self-edit well. Your self-editing process can be holding you back from making your story phenomenal. So when you are self-editing, one of the biggest issues is I see people self-edit like writers and not like readers. So when you are self-editing, make sure you know who your target audience is. If your target audience is veterans in law enforcement because you're writing action style stuff, don't make every member of law enforcement a bad guy. You are disconnecting from your target audience. So reading from an audience member's point of view and self-editing from that audience member's point of view is vital before you can get to the next step, which is getting someone else to read it. Again, the biggest thing that you can do to help yourself to get rid of the distractions that are going to be red flags for readers is to take your time. Invest your time. Because especially if you want to do this as a long-term career, if you want to be a full-time author, you cannot rush the process. And that whole process starts when you write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 